chapter nine of rousseau and education according to nature by thomas davidson this librivox recording is in the public domain rousseau's educational theories youth emile book five wilts du genau erfrauen was sicht seint so frage nur beeden frauen an goethe and manhood fused with female grace in such a sort the child would twine a trustful hand unasked in thine and find his comfort in thy face tennyson in memoriam love seeketh not its own paul rousseau's emile is now a young man whose chief purpose is to find a suitable wife to complete his sensuous happiness rousseau like all sensualists has a low opinion of women they live in their senses and not in their understanding while man must be active and strong woman must be passive and weak the one must necessarily have will and power it is enough if the other offer but little resistance it follows that woman is made to please man if woman is made to please man and to be subjugated she must make herself agreeable to him instead of provoking him her violence lies in her charms the minds of women correspond exactly to their constitution far from being ashamed of their weakness they glory in it their tender muscles are without resistance they pretend not to be able to lift the lightest burdens they would be ashamed to be strong why it is certainly not for the sake of seeming delicate it is from a far shrewder precaution they are preparing a long way beforehand excuses for being weak and the right to be so on occasions thus all the education of women must have relation to men to please them to be useful to them to rear them when they are young to tend them when they are grown counsel and console them to make their lives pleasant and sweet these are the duties of women in all times and what they ought to learn from earliest childhood woman is a coquette by profession but her coquetry changes form and object according to her views let us regulate these views by those of nature and woman will have the education that befits her she is different from man and has different functions she must therefore receive a different education rousseau has much to say about these differences they rest largely on the notion that command and independence belong to man obedience and dependence upon woman while he is to be taught to be strong and defiant of public opinion she must learn to be agreeable and sensitive to such opinion opinion is virtue's tomb among men and its throne among women at the same time a girl's education must in many respects resemble that of a boy she must at first have plenty of exercise and frolic all that confines and constrains nature is in bad taste this is as true of the decorations of the body as those of the mind life health reason well-being must take precedence of everything there is no grace without ease delicacy is not languor one need not be unhealthy in order to please the amusements of a girl will be gentler than those of a boy aiming at refinement rather than strength instead of learning to read and write as girls usually do she will play with dolls sew embroider make lace and paint flowers fruit and such things carefully avoiding figures and landscapes a little arithmetic will not be out of place girls must be wide awake and laborious more than that they must be early subjected to repression jeanne this misfortune if it is one for them is inseparable from their sex and they can free themselves from it only by exposing themselves to suffer others more cruel all their lives they will be subjected to the most continuous and severe repression that of propriety 
from the first they must be exercised in constraint so that it may never cost them anything and taught to overcome all their fancies in order to subject them to the will of others they must be educated at home under the eyes of their parents and never for one instant in their lives be allowed not to feel the bridle accustom them to be interrupted in the midst of their games and to be carried off to other occupations without a murmur from this habitual constraint there results a docility which women have need of all their lives since they never cease to be subjected either to a man or to the judgments of men without their ever being allowed to set themselves above these judgments the first and most important attribute of a woman is sweetness being made to obey an imperfect being like man often so full of vices and always so full of faults she must early learn to submit even to injustice and to bear the misdeeds of a husband without complaining she must never scold her weapon of defence is cleverness or address if she were not artful she would be man's slave she must therefore cultivate artfulness let us not destroy the instruments of happiness because the wicked use them for mischief a girl is to cultivate taste but to be simple in her adornments setting fashion at defiance she will consider only what is becoming to her what makes her pleasing she must not try to be a mediaeval saint knowing only the command aura et labora nor live like a grandmother she must be lively hearty merry she must sing and dance to her heart's content and enjoy all the innocent pleasures of her years her singing must not be of the professional sort but simple and natural and she may learn to play her own accompaniments without being able to read a single note since the talent for conversation takes the first place in the art of pleasing she must early acquire it while a man speaks what he knows a woman speaks what pleases in order to talk the one requires knowledge the other taste the object of the one should be useful things that of the other agreeable things we ought not therefore to stop the chatter of girls as we would do that of boys by the question what is the use of that but with this one which is not more easy to answer what effect will that produce they must make it a rule never to say anything but what is agreeable to those with whom they talk at the same time they must never lie religion ought to be taught earlier to girls than to boys the religion of their parents since the conduct of woman is enslaved to public opinion her belief is enslaved to authority every girl ought to follow the religion of her mother and every wife that of her husband if this religion be false the docility which makes the mother and the daughter submit to the order of nature wipes out in god's sight the sin of error being incapable of judging for themselves they ought to accept the decision of their fathers and husbands as that of the church since authority must regulate the religion of women it is of less importance to explain to them the grounds you have for believing than to set clearly before them what you do believe when you explain articles of faith to them let it be done in the form of direct instruction in replying they must say only what they think not what has been dictated to them all the answers in the catechism are preposterous it is the scholar instructing the teacher they are even lies in the mouths of children in religious instruction no notice should be taken of those dogmas which have no direct bearing on practice that a virgin is the mother of her creator that she gave birth to god or merely to a man with whom god united himself that the father and the son have the same substance or only a similar one that the holy spirit proceeds from one of the two who are the same or from the two conjointly i do not see that the decision of these questions in appearance essential is of any more importance to the human race than to know on what day of the moon easter ought to be celebrated whether we ought to say the rosary fast eat fish and eggs speak latin or french in church adorn the walls with images say or listen to mass and have no wife of one's own 
let everybody think about these things as he pleases i do not know how far they may interest other people they do not interest me at all but what interests me and others like me is that every one should know that there exists an arbiter of the lot of men whose children we all are who orders us all to be just to love one another to be kindly and merciful to keep our agreements with everybody even with our enemies and his and that the apparent happiness of this life is nothing that after it there comes another in which this supreme being will be the rewarder of the good and the judge of the wicked these are the dogmas which it is important to teach young people and to impress upon all citizens any one who contests them certainly deserves punishment he is the disturber of order and the enemy of society whoever goes beyond them and seeks to subject us to his private opinions comes to the same point by an opposite path to establish order after his fashion he disturbs the peace in his forward pride he makes himself the interpreter of the divinity he demands in his name the homage and respect of men and puts himself as far as he can in the place of god he ought to be punished for sacrilege if not for intolerance footnote this were somewhat lengthy quotation has been made with the view of bringing out three things one rousseau's religious views two his ethical sanctions which are of a supernatural sort three his religious intolerance which matches even that of calvin and reveals the unphilosophical fanatic End of footnote ignore therefore he continues all those mysterious dogmas which are for us words without ideas keep your children always within the narrow circle of those dogmas which relate to morality persuade them that there is nothing useful for us to know but what teaches us to do good do not make your daughters theologians or reasoners accustom them to feel themselves under the eyes of god to take him as witness of all their actions and thoughts of their virtue and pleasures to do good without ostentation because he loves it to suffer evil without a murmur because he will one day make it up to them footnote in ethics rousseau never rises above this otherworldly self-interest of nobility as an end he has no notion End of footnote. finally to be during all the days of their life what they would wish to have been when they shall appear before him this is the true religion this is the only one that is liable to neither abuse and piety nor fanaticism let others preach sublimer ones as much as they please i know of none but this but though according to rousseau women are destitute of reason such as would enable them to discuss questions of theology and ethics yet they have something which takes its place there exists for the whole human race a rule anterior to opinion it judges prejudice even and it is only in so far as the judgment of men agrees with it that this judgment can be authoritative for us this rule is the inner sentiment it follows from this that the moral guide of women is after all a subjective feeling how treacherous this may be when separated from reason hardly needs to be remarked it must be admitted however that rousseau rarely appeals to it religion and ethics are with him mostly matters of rhetoric his real sanctions are always happiness and self-interest he is a hedonist of the first rank the consideration of duty he says has force only in so far as it is supported by motives that prompt us to fulfil it we are now introduced to sophie the young woman who for a long time has been in process of education on these principles with a view to union with emile she is for a woman what emile is for a man she has had the education of nature her parents people of good family and once rich having lost the bulk of their property have retired to a charming situation in the country where they have led a simple and retired life and reared their only daughter this daughter is described to us at great length she is good-natured sensitive imaginative attractive but not pretty she has a sweet expression a fine complexion a white hand a tiny foot and a touching physiognomy she is fond of adornment and dress as well her attire is very modest in appearance and very coquettish in fact 
she has natural talents she sings sweetly and tastefully she walks lightly and gracefully she makes pretty curtsies she is well versed in all feminine occupations she cuts and makes her own clothes and manufactures lace because there is no other occupation that imparts a more agreeable attitude or in which the fingers are applied with more grace and lightness she can keep house but though she is fond of good things to eat she does not like cooking because it is not altogether cleanly in this matter she is extremely fastidious she would rather let a whole dinner burn up than have a spot on her cuff she likes pastry and sweets but cares little for meat she is agreeable without being brilliant gay without being boisterous sensitive but easily pacified and forgiving she has a simple rational religion with few dogmas and yet fewer devotional exercises she devotes her life to serving god by doing good she loves virtue with devouring passion because there is nothing so beautiful as virtue she knows all the duties of both sexes and longs to make one upright man happy she never speaks ill of any one and never uses vain forms of politeness she hates officious gallantry and though rather short does not wear high heels she receives the flirtatious compliments of young men with an ironical applause which disconcerts when she reaches marriageable age she receives an instructive lecture from her father and makes a confidant of her mother she reads by chance fenelon's telemaque and falls in love with the hero whose image makes all the young men she knows distasteful to her in this situation she exclaims let us not think that a lovable and virtuous man is only a chimera he exists he lives he is perhaps looking for me looking for a soul that can love him but what is he where is he i do not know he is not among those whom i have seen and surely will not be among those whom i shall see oh mother why have you made virtue too dear to me if i could love but it the fault is yours rather than mine she is now ready for emile and emile is ready for her they must therefore be brought together but without their knowing that this is done intentionally everything is arranged behind their backs and they with all their supposed penetration now heightened by budding passion are mere innocent dupes emile's tutor as the representative of nature claims the sole right of arranging for his marriage it is not i he says who destine them for each other it is nature my business is to discover her choice i say my business and not his father's in entrusting his son to me he yields me his place puts my right in place of his own it is i who am emile's real father it is i who have made him a man i should have refused to bring him up had i not been permitted to marry him according to his own that is to my choice before bringing the future lovers together rousseau enters at some length into the conditions of a happy marriage the semi-sensuous stallion delights of which are to him the all in all of life Footnote it is impossible not to feel in all rousseau's descriptions of wedded bliss that he has before his mind his own life with madame de warren's at les charmettes he seems to be continually comparing that with his life with therese and asking by what means the former could be rendered permanent the abode of sophie's parents is just les charmettes in the footnote the details of these do not concern us here but three points may be noted he holds one that while natural love should be the determining motive of marriage similarity of taste and culture should not be disregarded two that great beauty should be avoided rather than sought by a man in wooing three that a woman with anything like a literary or a scientific education is to be avoided like a pestilence a woman of culture bel esprit he says is the plague of her husband her children her friends her servants everybody at the proper moment emile and his tutor joyously shake the dust of corrupt and corrupting paris from their feet and start on a foot tour without any fixed destination rousseau's description of this tour and its manifold fresh simple delights is masterly perhaps no man that ever lived knew the sensuous charms of free nature and of vagabond freedom so well as he and no one ever described them in such glowing terms 
after a few days the wanderers lose their way they are always conveniently doing that and have to appeal to the kindly peasant for food when they part with him he says if god had graciously guided you to the other side of the hill you would have had a better reception you would have found a house of peace such charitable such good people they have no better heart than mine but they are better off although i am told they were much more so formerly they don't suffer thank god and all the country round is better for what is left emile of course comes up to the occasion being a most satisfactory puppet at these words about good people emile's kind heart expands master he says looking at me let us go to this house whose owners are blessed in the neighbourhood i should be glad to see them perhaps they would be glad to see us too i am sure they will receive us well if they are ours we shall be theirs they accordingly repair to the house and are most graciously received so graciously indeed that emile so often duped for his benefit exclaims in the simplicity of his heart why one would think we had been expected how right the peasant was what attention what kindness what foresight and for strangers i could imagine myself in the time of homer it is needless to say that we are in the house of sophie for whom emile's imagination has so long been prepared sophie duly appears behaves properly and sweetly and the two fall in love with each other almost at first sight the details of their courtship do not belong here they form a charming idol one of the most charming ever written which has only one drawback the characters are all puppets whose wires are in the hands of the all-knowing all-designing tutor emile and his tutor establish themselves in a town some two leagues distant from sophie's home and she with the consent of her parents allows them to visit her about twice a week the tutor takes care that things shall not proceed very rapidly indeed he prolongs the season of wooing as much as he can on the ground that love's supreme bliss is a hundred times sweeter to look forward to than to enjoy meanwhile emile is spending his time in examining the surrounding country in entering into relations with peasants learning their needs giving them aid and instruction showing his ability in ploughing and in the arts of agriculture earning his daily bread by working as a carpenter and in playing lord bountiful generally at the end of two months an engagement takes place and emile is in the seventh heaven he still remains in sophie's neighbourhood and is now allowed to visit her more frequently he sings plays races and dances with her amends her piano teaches her philosophy physics mathematics history indeed everything he knows footnote here rousseau is careful to tell us that the art of thinking is not foreign to women but they must do no more than graze the sciences of reasoning into footnote at the end of three months emile fondly thinks that the consummation of all his hopes is near but alas his tutor whom he has undertaken to obey has a bitter disappointment in store for him he must postpone the realization of his dearest wishes control his passion and leave sophie for two years he is not ready to marry he does not know either himself or sophie sufficiently he has not sufficiently realized the duties of husband and father he has almost no acquaintance with social and political relations the tutor who has hitherto spoken and acted like an optimistic epicurean declaring that his sole desire was to secure the happiness of his pupil now suddenly changes his tone and adopts that of a severe pessimistic stoic footnote he says in so many words i have not educated my emile to desire or to wait but to enjoy End of footnote. man must rise above his natural desires and passions and take reason for his guide he must detach himself from all dependence upon transient and earthly things and be prepared for every change of fortune the man who has no laws but the wishes of his heart and can resist no desire is guilty of a crime who then is the virtuous man he who can govern his affections for then he follows reason and conscience he does his duty and nothing can make him swerve from it all the passions are good so long as we are masters of them all are bad as soon as we become a slave to them all the feelings which we master are legitimate all those which master us are criminal a man is not to blame for loving his neighbour's wife so long as he keeps his unfortunate passion 
in subjection to the law of duty he is to blame for loving his own wife when he goes so far as to sacrifice everything to this love if you wish to live virtuous and wise let your heart cleave only to the beauty that perishes not extend the law of necessity to things moral learn to lose what may be taken away to give up all at the command of virtue and to place yourself beyond the reach of events then you will be happy in spite of fortune and self-controlled in spite of passion then you will find in the possession of transient things a delight which nothing can disturb you will possess them without their possessing you and you will come to feel that man from whom everything drops away enjoys only that which he knows how to lose emile is of course outraged at such unwanted talk and declares that he cannot leave sophie without being a traitor a scoundrel and a perjurer the tutor lets him vent his first indignation and then continues saying among other things sensual happiness is transient the imagination which tricks out the objects of desire leaves them bare when they become objects of possession except the one self-existent being there is nothing beautiful but what is not if your present condition could have lasted always you would have found the supreme good but all that relates to man withers as he does all is finite all is transient in human life not yet trained to battle with himself not yet accustomed to desire one thing and will another the young man refuses to yield he resists and disputes he does not see why he must go away or if he must go why he cannot make sure of sophie by marrying her first the tutor points out to him the impropriety of leaving a wife and when emile still recalcitrates puts an end to further dispute by a fiat of authority since you will not obey reason he says then recognize another master you have not forgotten the compact which you entered into with me emile you must leave sophie i desire it at this the young man yields and their departure is fixed for a week later sophie and her parents have to be won over to the new scheme and this is a matter of no small difficulty sophie tries to bear up under her sad trial but in secret weeps and wails in spite of herself the tutor comforts and reassures her and one day says to her sophie exchange books with emile give him your telemaque in order that he may learn to be like him and let him give you the spectator which you are so fond of reading study in it the duties of virtuous women and think that in two years these duties will be yours the lovers at last part in this fashion emile impatient ardent agitated beside himself shrieks sheds torrents of tears on the hands of father mother and daughter embraces with sobs all the people in the house and repeats the same things over and over again a thousand times with a disorder that would excite laughter on any other occasion footnote emile did indeed need to learn self-control end of footnote sophie sat pale with lustreless eye and mournful look remains quiet utters not a word weeps not sees no one not even emile in vain he takes her hands and clasps her in his arms and she remains motionless and insensible to his tears his caresses to everything that he does how much more touching this object is than the importunate wails and noisy regrets of her lover he sees it feels it is torn by it i have difficulty in dragging him off if i leave him a moment i shall never get him to leave i am delighted that he carries with him this sad image if ever he is tempted to forget what he owes to sophie and i recall her to his mind as he saw her at the moment of his departure his heart will have to be sadly alienated if i cannot bring him back to her there may be differences of opinion in regard to the value of travelling at this juncture in a young man's life but there can hardly be any in regard to the method by which emile is induced or rather forced to undertake it that a young man who up to the age of twenty-two has always followed or thought he followed his own inclination should suddenly be commanded to set his strongest inclination at defiance as a piece of the most wanton tyranny and cruelty an attempt to reap where one has not sowed that the young man who does not know what obedience means and who does not see his own interest or utility in what he is called upon to do should obey is not only extremely improbable but very discreditable showing that he has not escaped from the tyranny of his fellows or become self-determining 
he has taken a vow like a mediaeval monk and is still subject to obedience footnote it is astonishing how many of the worst features of mediaevalism religious intolerance mystic fanaticism vows confession etc still survive in rousseau he had learnt much from the jesuits in the footnote still more improbable and discreditable is it that he should suddenly exchange his lifelong thoughtless joyous optimism for a gloomy disheartening brooding pessimism to which the world is all a passing show for man's illusion given but the worst feature of the whole matter is that while calling upon his pupil to obey the voice of reason and conscience rousseau shows no reason why this voice should be obeyed any more than the voice of passion and interest so far as we are shown both are equally subjective and blind and there is no third faculty who be umpire between them the moral law cannot remain a mere ungrounded categorical imperative but must be shown to be the expression of man's essential relations to the universe this however cannot be shown without a profound painfully acquired scientific knowledge of the world and of man as a cooperant essentially social member of the same nor without a carefully reasoned philosophy resting on this knowledge and with these conditions rousseau in his supercilious unsocial subjectivism claiming for itself supernatural inspiration would have nothing to do footnote any one who claims a knowledge of theoretic or ethical principles not grounded on experience must be regarded as claiming inspiration even kant with his rousselian categorical imperative was not exempt from this weakness End of footnote. it is not therefore wonderful that he landed in all sorts of contradictions and in the end proved unfaithful to his own principles emile leaves his sophie and sets out upon his travels still accompanied by his despotic tutor the purpose of these travels is ostensibly one of self-interest to enable emile to discover the country in which he can settle down to quiet family life with the best hope of independence and liberty rousseau holds that every man when he comes to the age of discretion has a right to choose his country he tells us very little about emile's travels but he says many wise things regarding the value and method of travelling as a means of education its value lies in the fact that it does away with local and national prejudices puts experience in place of imagination widens the sympathies enables one to distinguish humanity under all guises to reject what is accidental and spurious in it and to cling to what is natural and genuine its method is that which brings the traveller most directly and closely in contact with the people of each country enabling him to learn their language and become acquainted with their habits customs and ways of regarding things the method of the ordinary tourist whose main objects are scenery cities churches galleries museums and public exhibitions is altogether to be eschewed cities and city people are pretty much the same all over europe they are all equally depraved by culture it is the country campagna that makes the country pays and the country people that make the nation it is always in capitals that human blood is sold cheapest thus one becomes acquainted only with the great peoples and the great peoples are all alike the europeans are no longer gauls germans iberians allobrogos they are merely scythians that have variously degenerated in face and still more in morals emile therefore will merely glance at cities and spend most of his time in remote country districts where the people are still simple and undepraved and he will not merely see and hear he will also think with his tutor he will discuss the origin and nature of social institutions and of those relations and duties that arise under them in this matter little aid can be derived from books political right is a science which has yet to be born and we may presume it never will be born grotius the master of all our scholars in this matter is but a baby and what is worse a baby of bad faith when i hear grotius lauded to the skies and hobbes loaded with execrations i see how much sensible men read or understand of these authors the truth is their principles are exactly similar they differ only in expression they differ also in method 
hobbes takes his stand on sophisms grotius on the poets all the rest they have in common the only modern man who might have created this great and useful science was the famous montesquieu but he never thought of dealing with the principles of political right he stopped short with the positive right of established governments and no two things in the world are more different than these two studies such being the condition of things emile's tutor must help himself as best he can by means of original thinking it is but fair to say that the above criticisms of hobbes grotius and montesquieu are in the main correct and that to rousseau himself is due a large share of the credit for originating the science of political right with all its obvious mistakes his social contract was an epoch-making book we need not wonder therefore that the questions which emile is led to consider are in the main those dealt with and answered in that book or that he comes to the conclusion therein reached rousseau plainly admits this and whatever we may think of these conclusions we ought cheerfully to admit that hardly any book more provocative of thought and such provocativeness is the greatest merit of any decent book could be put into the hands of a young man of serious mind if while reading it we have a wise and learned guide he will see the extreme importance of the questions broached and to be led to inquiries and considerations which will reveal to him the fallacies involved in the attempt to answer them and even if for a short time left to himself he fall a victim to rousseau's passionate and specious rhetoric he will free himself as soon as the glamour of that has worn off and through experience study and careful thought seek other solutions of his own footnote the social contract ought to be a leading textbook in all classes and political science it should be remembered that in the hands of an able teacher a bad book calling for strong adverse criticism is often far better than a good one which leaves teacher and pupil nothing to do but to repeat and accept moreover in these days it is no no small importance that the false teaching of the social contract still influential wherever there is not a profound acquaintance with political science should be dragged to the light and exposed End of footnote. after an absence of two years devoted to experience and thought in social matters emile who has all the time been looking out for a place to settle in comes to the conclusion that one place provided it is not in a city is as good as another i remember he says to his tutor that my property was the cause of our researches you proved to me very cogently that i could not retain at once my riches and my liberty but when you wished me to be at once free and without needs you were suggesting two things that are incompatible for i cannot withdraw myself from dependence upon men without reverting to dependence upon nature what then shall i do with my inherited fortune i shall begin by ceasing to depend upon it i shall slacken all the ties that bind me to it if it is left to me i shall keep it if it is taken from me i shall not be dragged off along with it i shall not torment myself to retain it but i shall remain firm in my place rich or poor i shall be free i shall be so not only in such or such a country or region i shall be so all the world over for me all the chains of opinion are broken i know only those of necessity i have learned to wear them since my childhood and i shall wear them till the day of my death for i am a man and why should i not wear them in freedom since i should still have to wear them in slavery and those of slavery besides what matters my position in the world what matters it where i am wherever there are men i am among my brothers who wherever there are none i am at home with myself as long as i can remain independent and rich i have the means of living and i shall live when my property enslaves me i shall abandon it without difficulty i have arms to work with and i shall live when my arms fail me i shall live if i am supported i shall die if i am deserted i shall die even if i am not deserted for death is not a punishment for poverty but a law of nature let death come when it will i defy it it will never find me making preparation to live it will not prevent me from having lived such father is my fixed purpose if i were without passions i should in my human condition be independent as god himself since desiring only what is i shall never have to struggle with fate 
at least i shall have but one chain it is the only one i shall always wear and i may well be proud of it come then give me sophie and i am free emile having thus reached the desired mood of pessimistic stoic independence and learnt to look upon life as a passing show receives the commendations of his tutor but is at the same time warned that he will not be quite so stoical when he has children and that he must submit to other yokes besides that of marriage o oh, emile says his tutor where is the good man that owes nothing to his country whoever he may be he owes it man's most precious dower the morality of his actions and the love of virtue born in the depths of a forest he would have lived happier and freer but having nothing to resist in order to follow his passions he would have been good without merit he would not have been virtuous whereas now he can be so in spite of his passions the mere appearance of order prompts him to know and love it the public good which serves but as a pretext to others is to him alone a real motive he learns to battle with himself to conquer himself to sacrifice his own to the common interest it is not true that he derives no benefit from the laws they give him the courage to be just even among the wicked it is not true that they have not made him free they have taught him to rule himself Footnote. it is needless to remark that rousseau here abandons the position toward civil life taken in the discourses End of footnote. Emile is then shown that his place of abode ought not to be indifferent to him and that one of his duties is attachment to the place of his birth and to his countrymen live in the midst of them exclaims the tutor cultivate their friendship in gentle intercourse be their benefactor their model your example will avail them more than all our books and the good they see you do will touch them more deeply than all our vain talk i do not advise you on this account to go and live in great cities on the contrary one of the examples which good men ought to set to others is to live a patriarchal country life the primitive life of man the most peaceful the most natural and the sweetest for a man of uncorrupted heart following this advice emile resolves to take up his abode with sophie's parents and the long-desired marriage at last takes place to the infinite joy of the lovers when the ceremony is over the tutor takes them aside and in a sensible but ill-timed discourse which makes the one protest and the other blush shows them how they may indefinitely prolong their happiness and remain lovers in the married state he thereupon abdicates his authority turning it over to sophie when the honeymoon is over the lovers settle down to enjoy in peace the charms of their new condition the tutor is happy over the results of his twenty-five years labour how often he says do i join their hands in mine blessing providence and breathing ardent sighs how many kisses do i pour upon these two hands that clasp each other with how many tears of joy do they feel me water them they in turn sharing my transports melt with tenderness at the end of some months emil enters his tutor's room and embracing him informs him that he emil will soon be a father but he continues remain the master of the young masters advise us govern us we will be docile as long as i live i shall need you i have more need of you than ever now that my functions as a man are beginning you have fulfilled yours teach me to imitate you and rest for it is high time so with the culmination of emil's bliss the book ends End of chapter nine